0: Let me invite you this morning to uh, take your Bible and make your way to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6, Ephesians chapter number 6, and uh, this will be the last time for a while, I think, that you'll hear me say, let's go to Ephesians, and uh, that is because this is our uh, final text in this exposition. We've come through the book, um, beginning at the very start, right? Uh, Chapter 1 and verse 1, all the way down to chapter 6 and verse 24, that is what is called Expositional Preaching, Expounding a Book of the Bible, verse by verse, line upon line, paragraph by paragraph, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this study. This is the first book I began to endeavor here since coming here last year, and um, it's really bittersweet for me as I was looking back through Ephesians, and I think about all that we've learned and studied and, and uh, looked at together, and uh, but at the same time, I'm ready to move on to what the Lord has next for us, and so... Uh, we'll uh, we'll get into that uh, shortly, uh, but uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number 6, verse 21 down through verse number 24 as we close out the book, and the title of the message today is Paul's Final Words to the Ephesians, Paul's Final Words to the Ephesians, and so let's read our text together and dive into our study as we look at the Word of God. Paul the Apostle writing to them says, So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace be to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We think about the closing of the books of the Bible and these letters, and sometimes they are skimmed over and read very quickly because they are somewhat of a benediction, a farewell or just a conclusion. But within this passage, there is still yet... Uh, a great measure of rich truth for us that we need and is applicable to our own lives. And that's what I've discovered in just this closing section here today. As we consider Paul's final words to the Ephesians, let's think for a moment, what would your final words be to the people you care deeply about? you ever thought about that? What would, what would be my last words? What would I want to say? What would I want to make sure I told people before I left or I've only had one other opportunity to speak to them? You know, many people do not get that opportunity because often death finds us when we don't expect it, and that's uh, just how it is in this world. But then there are occasions where maybe you have a heads up, maybe you know your time is near, and so you can write a letter or, or give some parting words. We've probably all heard significant last words from well-known people in history, and I was reading through several, and, and uh, John Wesley was one that came up, and just before he died in his 88th year he sat up and looked to his loved ones weeping at his bedside and said, best of all, God is with us. And those were his parting words. Best of all, God is with us. And that's a great reminder for those grieving, that God is with us, right? And he is with his people. And in a sense, this is what Paul has deeply made clear to the Ephesians, that God is their God in Christ Jesus, and he is with them, he has changed them, he indwells them. You see, Paul is in this position where his words here are most likely the last he's going to communicate specifically to the Ephesians. That hit me as I studied this, because we often think of Paul's last letter as being 2 Timothy, right? That was the last one he penned, but in reality, some of the letters, especially the prison letters, those were the last words he would communicate to those specific churches, Because Paul doesn't get a chance to get out of this prison and go back and see them again. And unless he wrote another letter that we don't have record of or communicated another way, these would have been some of the last words that Paul would have communicated to these churches that he dearly loved. Because he's in prison in Rome. And he wrote several letters from prison to churches and to specific people. And Paul is never going to get the opportunity to see these people again. And that points us to the reality that these are some of the last words. He communicates to the people in Ephesus, to the people in Ephesus. Now you could say that also about Philippians, that was one he wrote in prison. Colossians, 2 Timothy, he wrote in prison. Philemon is another one. So so we read these with that in view. Now understand that Paul, he deeply loved these churches. This was not just, you know, another church down the road that you'd pass by he knew them. He loved them. He labored among them. He, he, he knew their names and, and knew where they were and what their spiritual needs were. He loved them dearly. And that was reciprocated to Paul too. And I want to open just an introduction just to show you this backdrop in Acts chapter 20 if you would. Look at Acts 20. We'll go back to Ephesians in just a second. But Acts 20 in verse 36-38, we see this last physical encounter between Paul and the Ephesians. And what a dear encounter it is. We don't have this with every church that he visited, but Ephesus was one that was quite significant here and how much they meant to each other. Acts 20 in verse 36 through verse 38, and notice this, Paul, this this text happens after Paul gave a, a, a good discourse of instruction and communication to them, especially the elders in Ephesus. And he says in verse 36, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now you just kind of put yourself in the Ephesians' shoes and in Paul's shoes in this text. Paul is telling them, you're not going to get to see my face anymore this side of heaven. But praise God, because Christ is risen, it's not the last time they'll get to see Paul face-to-face, is it? And that's true for all of us who are in Christ, who have had loved ones go on in Christ. Um, It's not goodbye, it's just, I'll see you later. Uh, That's what I took to heart when my dad passed away in 2016. I said, you know what, I'm going to see him again, uh, because Christ lives, and because he's risen. And, And so, this is what the hope is for the Christian. But they would not see his face again. So these words are encouraging words and final words for the Ephesians from Paul who is going to be put to death uh, in the not-too-distant uh, future. So in our notes this morning, I have two headings I want to bring to your attention. Just two. Uh, and uh, we'll look at these together. Notice with me number one in our text, we see Paul's desire for their encouragement. His desire as he closes this letter is that they be encouraged. He wants them to be cheered. He wants them to be built up. And to do this, he's going to give them some truth, but also a person who's going to communicate some truth. And so notice with me letter A this morning, the messenger for their encouragement. There's a messenger that's going to come to them and bring them some encouragement that they greatly need in their Christian life and in their church. And so he expresses this and says that a man named... Tychicus, and I'm going to struggle with that, all right? One of them Bible names that you got to look up. How do I pronounce this? Because all my life I've been calling him Tychicus, and uh, I looked at that a little closer, and that's not how it's, how it's pronounced. And I even went to one of them uh, voice things that pronounces names for you, and it told me I was wrong. <laughs> and, and so I'm thankful for the tools we have, but if I stumble over this guy's name, just bear with me, you know who I'm talking about. So, um, Tychicus, okay, verse 21, notice this. He says, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Now when Paul mentions people like this that we're not really aware about, it makes me wonder, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Because he's kind of an unknown, right? We We don't talk about Tychicus a whole lot, do we? Now Paul is known to us, but Tychicus, who's that guy? Why is he mentioned here? Well, what do we know about him? We see him referenced in other writings of Paul. And in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, we, we read him listed among other faithful brothers in that he was of the Asians, Tychicus and Trophonimus. And so he was, he was of Asia Minor. Possible he was converted uh, in Paul's missionary journeys. It's possible he was even from Ephesus. But he's from that region. And this man, Tychicus, he became a treasured servant and helper to Paul in the gospel ministry. Now, we often think of the Apostle Paul and all that he did, and how great an apostle he was. But when you read the letters and you read Acts, understand this. Paul always had a team of people working with him. You know why? Because no minister can do it alone. No minister can do the ministry alone. That's why the local church body is a a unified body that serves the Lord together in the work of the ministry. And, And so Tychicus here, he was a beloved brother. Notice he's a beloved brother. Notice how he's described by Paul. What's it mean that he's beloved? It means that he's one who is dearly loved. He was greatly loved by Paul and by the saints he was one who was very valued among the people of God for his faithfulness and his service in the ministry. You'll notice also that Paul says of him, he is a faithful minister in the Lord. A faithful minister in the Lord. Now, what's it mean to be faithful? To be faithful means that you are trustworthy. It means to be dependable. It means to be reliable and committed You see, there have been many ministers in the Lord throughout history, but not all have been faithful ministers in the Lord. You see, faithfulness is an essential quality for all of God's ministers, but not just God's ministers. All of God's people redeemed by Him are called to be faithful. They're called to be trustworthy, reliable, committed unto the Lord. And so we read this throughout the Scriptures. Paul said this in in 1 Corinthians 4 too. He said, moreover, it's required in stewards that they be found faithful. You see, Christian, every one of us are stewards of God. He's entrusted to you things to steward. He entrusts to the pastor the role of, of stewarding the ministry and God's people in the local church. But beyond that, he's entrusted to every Christian the stewardship of whatever it is that's in your realm. He's entrusted you to steward your, your time, your energy, uh, your health, your, your Christian walk with Him, your service, your worship. Stewardship is part of life. And as stewards, we are called to be faithful in our stewardship. Now, I think about this, and just think about Paul writing it, and how wonderful is it that the Apostle Paul writes of Tychicus. He's a beloved brother, and he's a faithful minister. You know, we all like to have words of encouragement every now and then, right? We'd like to have the approval of certain people that know that, uh, that, well, you know what, They, they, they... I'm thankful that they are encouraging in their words. And that's what Paul is. He's encouraging in his words. But there's something more important here to me than Paul's words. Not only is this Paul's opinion of Tychicus, it's God's opinion too. So how do I know that? Because it's penned in the Holy Scriptures. (laughs) You see, this is what God inspired to be written of Tychicus. God also viewed him as a beloved brother. God viewed him as a faithful minister. And may I say to you, Christian, that that is the most important thing. Because it really doesn't matter who you please in this world if you've displeased God. But as long as you have pleased God, it doesn't matter who you displease. (laughs) I I, want to be faithful in God's eyes. I want to be a faithful servant to Him. That's what's most important. You see, the Lord's view of you is what really counts. So don't get caught up in how so-and-so thinks or how so-and-so views me. You need to just focus on... Am I pleasing God? Am I seeking to be faithful in God's eyes? It doesn't matter about other people, but, other, but God's eyes. The Lord saw Tychicus as beloved and faithful in his Christian life. And his faithfulness is manifested here and in other places in this way. That Tychicus, okay, he is being trusted to deliver the inspired revelation of God's word to these churches. Now that's something that stuck out to me here. Paul's writing a letter to Ephesus, but he's all the way in Rome. How's that letter going to get to Ephesus? Praise God the U.S. Postal Service wasn't around, right? Might not have made it. Might have. I've had ups and downs with them, but you know what I'm talking about. Somebody had to carry this letter all the way to Ephesus. And that person had better be trustworthy. 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 To carry such a sacred and holy document, the the, the original, okay, the original God-breathed copy penned by Paul or given by Paul would have been a weighty responsibility to carry all the way to Ephesus. You know, there was a time when I was trusted with something important and lost it. Dad gave me his business credit card one day at work, sent me on an errand to go get something for the shop that we needed to have. So I go to the store, use that credit card, get the thing we needed for the shop, come back to the shop and give him the thing that he needed. And then he says, okay, do you have my card? I said, yes. Open my wallet, it's not there. Start checking my pockets, it's not there. By that time, my heart's beating, all right? I'm like, oh no, where is this at? Go to the truck, not there. Go back to the store wasn't there. I thought, I've lost that card. Well, I can tell you I learned a lesson. Don't lose the card. <laughs> don't lose the card. If you ever get trusted with this, he got a new one. He got a new one later, and I had to do the same thing, and he took this card and showed it to me and said, Son, don't lose this card. <laughs> don't lose it. He Don't want to replace it again. So I learned that i got to be more trustworthy with that. It was an accident. I don't have a clue how it happened. But well, that's a trivial thing compared to carrying a copy of God's Word, this letter, across the Mediterranean and all the way over to Ephesus from Rome. And that's what Tychicus is trusted with. Now, whether Tychicus knew this was part of God's canon uh, it makes no difference. We know the canon of Scripture was being developed. There's several letters that were written. Some are included. Some aren't. And God's Spirit governed in that affair. But Paul knew that he had pinned the depths of God's glorious gospel and some very needed application for the church and for the Ephesians. And is trusted to get it to them. Think about how many Bible scholars would love to have that original copy in their hands. You know, we don't have any original copies of the scriptures. God has preserved his scripture through copies of copies of copies of copies. Of copies Um, then he's providential in that. If we still had those, probably people would worship those themselves. But uh, what we find is that that Tychicus, he got to carry this. And it goes beyond just Ephesians. Understand, he didn't only carry Ephesians, he most likely also carried Colossians. Colossians, because it went on the same journey. We read in Colossians, where Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Colossians 4.7 Colossians, very similar to Ephesians, going to that same region. We also find out that Tychicus, he also accompanied Onesimus, which was a once runaway slave who was now converted, back to Colossae, which indicates Tychicus most likely carried the book of Philemon. Philemon also. According to Titus 3.12, he might have carried the book of Titus. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, We don't have a concrete decision, but his name's in there. He might be one of the ones bringing this. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend winter there. And then there are some that think he even carried 2 Timothy later, as Tychicus was to replace Timothy at Ephesus while Timothy went to see Paul before he died. So what what do you gather from all this? Tychicus is an unsung hero of the faith. One of the unknowns that we don't hear about a lot. He stood by Paul in the very end, serving the Lord in whatever way he was needed. He delivered the Scriptures to the churches and served in the churches however he was needed at this time. And there's great application for us in this. And there's twofold application I want to bring your attention. We should have faithful hearts to serve in whatever way we can, even if that way is unnoticeable. Because many people want to serve only if it's noticeable, right? That's not the the quality of faithfulness. We are to serve even if it's unnoticeable. Because though you may serve the Lord in ways here that even I maybe don't even see, nothing goes unnoticed by God. And there is a rewarding day for you. When we come before the Lord, there's an account of everything that we've done in His name and on His behalf even if it's picking up a piece of trash out of a pew, even if it's, if it's sweeping the parking lot, or whatever it is that you do, cleaning toilets. So much happens in this church body that a lot of people have no clues happening or who's doing it. Understand, that service is so greatly needed and beneficial to the church and to the glory of God. So we, we have to remember. We need to serve God, even if it's unnoticeable, but we also need to remember that many of God's most faithful men and women are unknown to the masses. You see, serving the Lord is not about being noticed in that service or well-liked by the crowds. It's about being faithful in the little, unnoticeable things. Because every little thing done is always seen by the Lord. And I gather from this a great principle for us. You know, We hear of Paul often, Paul, 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 Paul. Rarely hear of Tychicus, but yet here he is, here he is, a faithful servant of God. So he's an example for us, and he would be a messenger of encouragement to the Ephesians. Notice with the letter B this morning, we see the message for their encouragement. We see the messenger, which is Tychicus, but now we see the message. What's the message of encouragement that's going to be brought to them? I mean, you think about them needing encouragement. You imagine the Ephesians gathered, gathered together for a service in whatever way they were able to gather They didn't have nice buildings like we have today. Sometimes they had to meet in in houses or in hidden places, sometimes caves or different areas. But imagine the Ephesians gathered together for service, and then Tychicus shows up. He wasn't no stranger to the churches. They knew who he was. They knew him, and they begin to ask, Tychicus, what are you doing here? Weren't you with Paul? How is he? Does he have any word for us? And Tychicus holds out Ephesians. He sure does. (laughs) He's got a word for you. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. And you look at verse 21, what's Tychicus do? Paul says he's going to tell them everything. Everything of what? Well, we know for certain from this context, he's going to tell them about Paul and how he's doing. But I think it even can go further than that. The content of Ephesians, as we have so gloriously seen, is rich and deep in theology and application Tychicus would have been a great aid in expounding that to them because he was with Paul when he wrote it. Tychicus would have had a clear understanding of this book and it's possible he may have been the first person to expound Ephesians to Ephesians, to the Ephesians. Now, i just pause for a moment and just reflect on the content of Ephesians. What an encouragement this book would be to the Ephesians, especially since they were in such a dark and hostile situation culture that was increasing in its pressure against Christianity, how marvelous would have been for them to hear that Christ is exalted and He's put all things under His feet and He's the head over all things of the church, that the forces of darkness can't stand up to the power of His light. How encouragement, how encouraging has this book been for us as we have read and studied it verse by verse, it has revealed to us. The depths of God's glorious gospel. From eternity past to eternity future, we see the triune God redeeming sinful men. God the Father choosing us. God the Son redeeming us. God the Spirit calling us and sealing us. We've been brought from death to life. Do you not, are you not encouraged by that Christian? You, you've been brought from death to life. Life. You were dead in sin and now you're alive in Christ because of Christ alone and by faith in Him. You see, this this book itself is beyond doubt encouraging to the people of God and I will tell you that the main encouragement God's people need in every generation is the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God is what builds us up. It is what edifies us. It is what encourages us. Because We've got plenty in this world that discourages us, don't Don't we? All you got to do is turn on the news. Scroll Facebook for a little bit. You're going to see something bad that's happened. Something miserable that's happened. Something to bring our spirits down. You're going to experience things in your life that are discouraging, hardship and trial. And what is it that builds us up? It is the truth of God's Word. It is Scripture, friend. We need the truth of Scripture, the truth of Christ, and the truth of who we are in Christ the truth of the church, friend, the truth of what God is doing in the world and what He expects from us. And so this is what Paul gave them in Ephesians. Paul could have given them a real lengthy letter about all his afflictions. He had no shortage of afflictions to write about. <laughs> no short of trials. No short of injuries and, and things he was enduring. But he's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about Christ being exalted. And that that just pierces me as I think about Paul and what he's going through. Now, that doesn't negate from this reality that Paul does know they're concerned about him. He says in verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know what? How we are. How we are. That he may encourage your heart. You see, though Paul is not concerned with himself, he knows those who care for him are pretty concerned. And Paul knew what it was to be anxious for his beloved that he loved, others in the faith. There was a time when he, that he describes where he had come to a place, he came to Troas in 2 Corinthians 2, 12-13. He came there expecting to meet Titus, but Titus wasn't there. And so he says, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. He's, he's concerned. Where is he? Has something happened to him? Is he okay? That's the natural concern for us, right? Paul was concerned about Titus's status. And so the Ephesians, they're concerned about Paul too. You remember, they're, they're walking him to the ship as he's leaving, and they're weeping because they're never going to see him again. They know he's still alive, but they're wondering, how is Paul? You know, imagine hearing a, of, of a missionary that we knew, loved, and maybe even ministered here among us at one time. We hear that, man, he's been put into prison. You know this person. You love this person. You've labored with this person, and you hear he's in prison for the gospel's sake. What would be your heart? You'd be kind of anxious. What, how's he doing? Is there an update? What's going on with him? So Paul wants the Ephesians to know how he is through Tychicus. And this is all meant to do one thing for them. It's to encourage their heart. What does it mean to encourage in this way? It means to instill someone with courage or cheer. And I would say, I would venture to say that the Ephesians were encouraged by Tychicus showing up But not just showing up with words about Paul, but giving an entire letter from Paul about the glories of Christ and who they are in in Christ and what he's expected of them. So we have much to be encouraged about from the scriptures today. So let us be encouraged by God's truth, but also let us seek to be an encouragement to others. We ought to actively seek to do that, to build up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two. Number two this morning, notice that Paul desires, as we come to these last two verses, Paul desires their spiritual well being. He desires their spiritual well being. And this is seen just in his typical closing of a letter. But in this closing, I think you see a summary, really, of what he wants for them. Letter A Paul wants them to live in Christ fully. He wants them to live in Christ fully. And these final words, this, this, this closing greeting, are, are usually skimmed over quickly, yet they have rich truth within them. Verse 23 he says, Peace be to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers. So why is Paul closing in such a way? Because they're his parting words, they're his desires. What's his desire with this? He desires them to have a continued spiritual growth and unity together within the church. He wants them to understand that peace is what should be prevailing among the people of God. Now, the word peace here refers to a state of well-being, and it can also be used in terms of harmony and unity. This is what God's people need to have. Paul's going to leave. He's going to die. But the church goes on beyond Paul. And the church in every generation needs to have peace with God and with each other. That's their spiritual well-being. This was his desire for them. Grace and peace. He says this to many churches. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. God be with you. Till we meet again. Peace he desires their spiritual well-being but notice also he says he mentions his desire for their love with faith love with faith now love and faith are often linked together in paul's writings you know why that is because the love the christian knows is only experienced by faith and faith in christ will not be absent of love the two are intertwined together in the christian life and that is central to Paul's desire here, is that their faith be manifested with brotherly love towards each other. Christian, we must understand how fundamental that is. John tells us, if we do not love our brother and sister, that is evidence that we do not know God. If you do not love the brothers, love the brethren, the people of God, you don't know Him. Love is central to what faith is. Brings out. He said in Romans 12, verse 10, he said, Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. You see, these two virtues together, they are evidence of Christ in the life of a person peace, love, and faith. And I think it's interesting as you look at these three virtues of peace. Love and faith, they are central to the gospel work of Christ and the church. And they are repeated throughout this letter. Multiple times, Paul brings out peace in Christ. Multiple times, he brings out love in Christ. Multiple times, he brings out faith in Christ. And notice what he says here. He says that these qualities, they are where they come from? They are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we have any of these virtues in and of ourselves? No, we don't. That's the whole point of Ephesians. Is that all of who we are in Christ and all that we have in Christ, it is by the grace of God. You don't have it in yourselves. It comes wholly of Him. From beginning to end, it is all of His grace, friend. Because we're not capable of having those things without Him. We're in desperate need. Of these virtues that only he can give. Combine all these virtues and see the blessedness of having them in Christ Jesus. The believer has peace both with God and with his brothers and sisters because of Christ. He has love because of Christ who first loved him. He has faith because faith itself is the gift of God. Chapter 2 and verse 8. This summarizes really the content of Ephesians. So living out in these virtues is to live in Christ fully as we ought to live. To live in peace, love, and in faith. And that is the desire of Paul, penned in Scripture. And it is penned in Scripture, preserved for you and I today, because this is God's desire for us at Lee creek. That we live in peace and walk in love and faith. Notice with me letter B this morning, and last point, but this one I think is very significant. Very significant. Paul wants them to love Christ incorruptibly. Paul wants them to love Christ incorruptibly. Now, as you look at verse 24, this really brings in a summary and the foundation of all the application we could look at. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. Now, we see at the start, grace is the foundation to all of it, isn't it? It is grace. It is God's grace that brought forth our election our redemption. It is grace that found us through the gospel ministry. It is grace that saved us and and brought us to Himself. It is grace that secured us. It is grace that is sanctifying us now. It is grace that will bring us home to glory. Grace is the thread through all of this. But notice what he says here. He desires grace, God's undeserved and unearned blessings on those who love Jesus with love incorruptible. What does it mean to love Incorruptible. The word incorruptible here refers to the state of not being subject to decay, dissolution, or interruption. In other words, it's love that is not fading or dissolving away. What a striking application that is. Have we loved some things or some people? and had maybe that love fade or dissolve later. We could all think of things where that could apply. Growing up, I had a deep love and passion for basketball. Basketball was my passion. I had a t-shirt that said, I eat, sleep, and basketball. I've seen little kids wearing that. I thought, man, that used to be me. <laughs> I eat, sleep, and basketball, right? That was my life. You can ask my mom. I would play all day, every day if I could. I was convinced I was going to go pro. See how that turned out, right? I don't have that same passion for basketball today. (laughs) I don't run as fast as I used to. I don't jump as high as I used to. I can't shoot as well as I used to, but my passion for basketball basketball faded. It was not incorruptible. It's dissolved. I still like it, but I don't love it like I used to. Now, basketball or some other hobby that we may mention, it's immeasurably trivial compared to the love for Christ that we ought to have. You know, love fades for many things, but, but should not fade for Christ if you truly know Him. Now, here, here's what we find here. What is it? What is to be the chief love of every Christian? What is to be the chief love of every Christian, church? You can speak it with me. Jesus Christ. Jesus is to be your chief love. Above everything else, everything else in this world, the things that you love most dearly in this world are second to the love that you are to have for Jesus. We are to love Him even above our spouses, even above our children and our parents and our friends and our loved ones. How much do you love your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad or your children? I can't really put a measuring stick to that. But Jesus, love for Jesus is to exceed even that. You sure about that, preacher? Well, this is what Jesus said. Matthew ten thirty seven. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You understand that Christ is to be the first lover of our hearts because he is worthy to be the first love of our hearts. This has been the command to God's people from the Old Testament and on into the New Testament. Jesus repeated the great commandment, in Matthew 22, 37. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. That's all of your being. Now, as we've read through Ephesians and studied it, do we not see that Christ is worthy of love from the whole of our being? As you read Ephesians, you you read the depths of the gospel and what He's done for you and how much He loves you. Is He not worthy of your chiefest love? Is He not worthy of Him being the first love of your heart? How immeasurably deep is His love for us? How could we not love Him supremely above all else? How could we not love Him incorruptibly till we meet Him face to face? You know, in another letter, Paul closes with a similar but not exact exhortation and says, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Let him be accursed. You see, loving Christ is the chief priority of our life. Because love for Christ is the foundation to everything else we're going to do in our life for Christ. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples before he was crucified? If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. You can see how much a person loves Jesus by how much they follow or don't follow Christ. Everyone in this room would say, oh yes, I love Jesus, but do you really? How deeply do you love him? It's easy to say it in words, right? Just like with your wife or your husband. Oh, I love you. Well, what shows that? What shows that? What's the proof of, of your love? Where is it evidenced that, right? Now, now, perhaps this seems like a tall order from Paul. But Paul, understand, he's demonstrating this. He's not calling them to do anything that he's not doing. Paul is in prison on death row because of his love for Christ. He loves Christ more than anything. He is allegiant to Christ. He's willing to die for Christ because he loves Him. And his love for Christ is rooted in the love that Christ has had for him. I love this passage in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 through 15. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, The love of Christ controls us or constrains us. It, it grips, it takes hold of us. Because we've concluded this, that if one died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Our love for Christ will be invigorated when we take ourselves back to the cross. We bow before Christ on the cross on our knees and realize that He is hanging there in agony and bloodshed, bearing the wrath of God for sin for me, for my sins. It's easy to say, oh, He he, he died for sinners. Take that into personal account. He died for me. As a believer in Him, I know my sins are what nailed Him to the cross because without that sacrifice, it's me who bears God's wrath. It's me who's worthy of that. I have no hope of salvation. I have nothing without Christ. I am nothing without Christ. How could I not love Him incorruptibly in my life? Paul here, a persecutor of Christians, Convinced, I'm doing God's service by taking these Christians to prison, having them put to death. Is struck down blind on the road to uh, road to uh, road to uh, um, where's that? Where's he going? Emmaus, Damascus. Preachers have brain slips. All right, road to Damascus, And, and Jesus strikes him down in his tracks and saves him there by His grace. Paul did nothing worthy of it. He did everything worthy of his judgment. Jesus should have struck him down dead, but instead he struck him alive. Gave him life. From that day forward, Paul was never the same. Because once you meet Jesus in your heart, you're not the same. Contrary to popular Christianity, you can just make some kind of religious decision and say a prayer and then you go on living as if nothing happened. Friend, if you've made a profession of faith and you live like the devil, you need to examine your heart. You need to examine whether you really know Christ or not. Because when you meet Christ, you're not the same person. Certainly, you're not perfect. There's 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 a growth and maturity process. But understand, you're not the same. Because Christ has moved in. But I think of Paul and I think of me and I think of Christ on the cross. How could I not love Him deeply? How deep His love is for me, so how much, how deep my love should be for Him? Let's think of the Ephesians for a moment. Did the Ephesians love Jesus in this way? Maybe they did in that generation. What about the next one? Do we read anything else about the church in Ephesus? We do, and it, I think it's, it's providential, it's God's design that it applies directly to what Paul concluded with them. Love Jesus incorruptibly. Come with me to Revelation. Come with me to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Because the book of Ephesians is not the only letter that the Ephesians ever got from God. Look at this with me. What a challenge this is. Revelation 2 verse 1 through 7. Notice that he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus right, This is Jesus' words. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. To the church in Ephesus he says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary." If the report stopped there, it had been a pretty good report, wouldn't it? But you look at verse 4. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at the first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the first works that you did at the first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have... You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's a lot of symbolism and figurative language and Old Testament reference that I don't have time to dig into. Maybe another time. But what sticks out to me is that in the not-too-distant future, Ephesus gets a letter from Jesus himself through the apostle John saying you guys are doing all these good things, but I've got something against you. You've left your first love. The very thing that Paul closes his letter with, to love Jesus with incorruptible love. How soon, even within a generation, can the love of Jesus in a local church grow cold, calloused? You understand that a church can do all the right things with the wrong motive and heart, It doesn't matter how doctrinally right we are if we have no love for Jesus. Love for Jesus is the core quality of all that we do in truth. This is what happened in Ephesus. They were doing all the right things, but they had become mechanical and cold. They're just doing it because it's supposed to be done, right? This is how many churches in America are. We go through the motions of worship. We go through the motions of service to Christ, not out of a fervent love for Christ, but just because... That's what we're supposed to do. The church in America has left her first love. We've grown cold because we're preoccupied with so many other things. Things of this world, things that are temporal in nature. You see, the church can do all the right things with the wrong motive, but the church can also be deceived into being passionate about many good things, but not the best things. You know, we get passionate and zealous about a million things in this world except Christ. Many Christians today are more passionate about their patriotism than they are about Jesus and His church. Now understand, I'm as patriotic as it gets, but it means nothing if Christ and His kingdom doesn't advance. Jesus and His church is the answer for America. Not not necessarily one politician or another. Christ is the answer. Because Christ is king, and the gospel is the only thing that changes hearts, that eventually changes cultures. It must be the gospel. So, so what we have to, we have to understand that, that, that we have to be faithful and passionate in our love for Christ and not allow the world around us to dim our influence. Because Christ threatens here that if they did not repent, He would remove their candlestick, which really I, I think is their influence, the power of their influence. And I think that the power of the church's influence in America is very, very dim. Not in every church, but in many it is has been growing very, very dim. And largely in part because our love for Christ has become just an ember rather than a burning flame. Though the believer may ebb and flow in their zeal at certain times in their life, understand that if you're a true believer, you will always love Christ. You may get distracted at times but understand you need to repent and come back you'll always love him because true love for christ cannot be lost it is a mark of genuine conversion the zeal of our hearts needs to be fixed on christ afresh and so i ask us today do you love jesus do you love jesus I don't want you to give me the expected answer and say, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, sure, of course, I I love Jesus. But I want you to dig deep into your heart and your mind and ask yourself, do I really love Jesus with a love incorruptible? And if I say I really love him, how's that manifesting in my life? Because words are empty without actions that follow them. Someone rightly said, and I tend to agree with it, that revival is following in love with Jesus all over again. There's a lot of truth in that. Paul's command to them is the command to us is to love our Lord Jesus with love and corruptible. So as we close this letter, church, it's a glorious letter, isn't it? It's wonderful, so deep and so, so deep and rich in truth. Tychicus is a great example of the Christian life that he calls them to live. Paul's desire for peace, love, and faith, and grace upon them summarizes really the beauty of the gospel that he's expounded in depth. The call to love Christ incorruptibly is a call that we all must heed. So I ask all of us today, how are these final words of Paul to the Ephesians affected your own heart today? Are you like Tychicus? Are you a faithful servant, willing to serve, be unknown, and don't have to have the attention, but I'm just going to be faithful because the Lord's worthy of it no matter what. Do you love Christ incorruptible like Paul has described here? Maybe today you have net to be saved and you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Understand that Christ came into this world to die for sinners, which is you. All of us are sinners. And you can only be saved and know him and be changed by him by faith alone in him. The Bible calls upon you to repent and believe the gospel. Let us take the scriptures to heart today and live out the book of Ephesians like we're called to live it out. Let's stand to our feet and we'll have a closing song. I ask Coleman to come and our piano player and we'll have a closing song this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this book of scripture. How wonderful it's been. How challenging it has been to my own heart, Father. Oh Lord, I rejoice in the great deep theological truth that you've given us in the gospel. Showing us how marvelous your grace truly is. that You have saved us. All glory goes to you. Help us to apply what we've seen here in this final text. Help us to take it home with us in our hearts. Help us to examine and evaluate our love for Christ and our faithfulness to you. and Willingness to serve you even in the little things. Help us to be the bright and shining light that we are called to be in our own dark culture. For you're worthy of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.